Hello, everyone. This is John Farmer, Dilatory Executive Director with the Ozarks Film Foundry. I'm here today with David Watson. Hello. Hello. He's a director of photography, cinematographer, master of light. He's sitting here with me today to discuss filmmaking and uh, his experience and his journey to making films in the Ozarks. He's an independent filmmaker as well. And we're going to discuss uh, what goes into working, making a career, and uh, what the journey is like to become a DP, DP short for Director of Photography, in the Outlands. Because this is Outlands, Outlands Filmmakers, so we discuss filmmaking outside of Los Angeles and what is the Outlands, which is everywhere. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Well, you were highly recommended. In mm. fact, uh, uh, it wasn't very hard to um, to say decide you know you need to be on here because everyone talked about you. You've worked with a lot of the filmmakers in town. I have, I have. I hope it was all nice things they said. Apparently, it was since you had me on since since I'm sitting here right now. So <laughs> yes. yeah, I've worked with uh, worked with a lot of people. So it's well, always who, a, who are a, some of those people? Um, I've worked with uh, Thomas Turbyville. Um, I've worked with Brittany Greer. Uh, we were just talking about the strains, Mike Strain and Madison Strain, and. Uh, um, oh my gosh, I mean, there's, I don't know who all you've talked to, Valerie Bates, uh, I shot her feature film, um, oh my gosh, there's a lot, uh, I'm going to, uh, Kong Tao, uh, Dukon Williams, uh, I mean, there's, uh, you know, Steve Denton, thinking about the Denton brothers, they're always doing stuff, um, so there's a, there's a good filmmaking community, um, I'm Tom Baker, I've worked with him quite a bit, he and I talk and chat uh, fairly often, he'll call me up, I'll call him, we just talk shop so but uh there's a great filmmaking community in springfield that's for sure so and and um and you find that you're able to make a career out of this um i mean i don't i'll be honest i, I don't know that i've made a career out of it yet um i still have a normal full-time job that pays the bills so um but i've been blessed to be able to you know uh you know to be able to live here and get to shoot and get to make movies and uh you know, I, I, I made more money when I was doing weddings, but, um, let's just say that, but, um, but, uh, you know, for me, it's, I mean, you know, it's not about the money, I guess. I mean, I, I just love to make movies and I love the process and the people you get to work with and the relationships you get to build. And so, um, you know, I'm not from here. And so it's one of those things I think about, you know, I, my friends are at home, you know, they're back where I grew up, but I have friends here and I'll, so many of my friends are filmmaking people those are the people that I call friend and uh, I definitely have relationships that are going to be lasting forever even if we stop making movies I'll still be friends with these guys so <laughs> with so many of them so uh, that's that's a reward in itself I think so well I know that around here we're trying to make more films so that, there won't be any end to that but I'm curious you say you're not from around here and, and your journey's led here so what mm -hmm. was that journey where'd you begin and how did you get here sure um, I mean I, I grew up in down in Arkansas close to hot springs and uh, and so I, I actually moved up here probably man, it's, I have a daughter that's tw almost 21. It was before she was born. So it's been a long time, 22, 23 years, probably. Um, I, an old job that I had brought me to Springfield and I've just never left. And so, um, about 2014, probably 2013 is when I like picked up a camera and started doing photography. Um, I, it's always, it had always been something that interested me filmmaking. I loved, you know, I was the guy who loved the 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 dvds had blu-rays back then dvds that had you know the director's commentary and all the behind the scenes stuff and how and do they the criterion movies. collection must have been something yes, for you, right 100 <laughs> percent. yes i remember when criterion collection was a, became a thing because that was so cool and so 
but it, you know, so to me, filmmaking, making a movie was just not even something that would ever happen, even though it was very interesting to me, but photography was something that was accessible. It's like, okay, well I can take pictures and I learned how to do that. Or, uh, you know, I always joke that I'm YouTube educated. I, everything I've ever done <laughs> or learned, or I came from YouTube and I just went out and did it. But, uh, but you know, so getting into that was a big deal. You know, I, I still love doing photography. I don't do it as much as I used to, but it was one of those things where all of a sudden I was, you know, watching YouTube about something else about photography and probably a lens or a camera or something. And here's this YouTube video about, you know, that you're, you can make movies with your little Canon 6D, which is what I had. And I was like, and of course I knew it shot video, but then it was like, I watched this video and it was like this like moment of revelation. It was, you know, I can, I have all these lenses I can go out and make a movie and I can have control over the image. It's not just like taking a camcorder where you're just stuck with, you know, you can see the, like your phone, you can see the ISO shift. You can see the, you know, the, the, when you're going from shooting outside to inside, you know, you, you can have control of it like you do with a, with a photograph. You're just taking a lot more photographs, but, uh, so that opened up like a whole world. Then it was just me shooting my kids and then, you know, and then it ended up, I thought, uh, you know, again, watching YouTube, somebody hears somebody talking about making shooting weddings. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I can do that. That'd be kind of cool. And, you know, again, looking for a way to do something creatively really is what it was with, you know, with a, to make a movie. And and so uh, I had a friend of mine who got married and I said, hey, can I shoot your wedding? He's like, sure, cool, whatever, man. Yeah. And so I did it. And uh, um, of course, I watched a ton of stuff about you know, sort of like what gear to have, mics, all that kind of stuff. And so it's just sort of half you know i didn't know what i was doing but i had bought a few things and i made a get my i had a doll or i had a yeah it was a dolly that i had made out of like wiring like piping metal piping it was i don't know tiny and it was a and you had you used a uh electrical box a plastic electrical box that had holes and the most janky thing but it worked <laughs> like I, I wanted these like slow like dollies and stuff like that for some of the white anyways so I ended up doing that and getting and I had I shot at a, a place called the Gambro Barn uh, which is out kind of uh, like close to Mount Vernon and uh, anyways they sh- I shared my video they sh- I tagged them in it they shared it and then I ended up getting a bunch of like weddings I you know I guess somebody liked it and anyways I've, I've probably shot like close to 50 weddings over like a two and a half or three year period. But then along the way I met Thomas Turbyville and he, uh, he and I worked actually worked together for like probably two years and about a year and a half into us sitting right next to each other and talking about movies. We never talked about making movies and I was, I was shooting weddings at this time and, uh, he's like, Hey, I'm making a short film. Do you want to help? I was like, wait, what you make movies? And and then just took off from there. I met another. Uh, guy. We've talked to him before. He didn't make movies before. He just he decided did. to make movies too. He did. He really did. He. I think seems he like a thing. People just decide to take on this like super like complex technical I think, task. This art form. It's a yes. very technical art form. Yes, it's very technical. And for me, it was like that. You know, we live. I say this all the time. We live in a wonderful time because you know when I was you know a kid, it was a VHS camera. And it was it was fifty. You know, it's humongous. But now we have. You know, you can get really good cameras that'll shoot 4K, that'll shoot log, if nothing else. And a lot of them, I, I shoot mostly right now, I shoot, I own a Blackmagic Pocket 6K. It's like a $2,500 camera, and you can shoot 6K raw footage. Wow. So, you, you know, your ISO's not baked in, your your color temp's not baked in. You get all this creative sort of freedom, you know, 
That's amazing. And so it's like the world, you know, so it's like we live in such a, so, so many people. Well, let's talk movies. about that. I'm yeah. glad you shared some of your journey. I remember yeah, yeah. Um, there was a documentary uh, made about the making of Apocalypse Now with Francis Ford Coppola. And there's a Heart of there's Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. And toward the end, Coppola says, someday there's going to be some teenager in Ohio with a cheap camera and they're going to revolutionize the world, basically, right? And now we're there because it used to be, you know, if you were, I mean, movies were the domain of the studios, and, you know, and big corporations back during the studio period. And then you, we had Super 16, well, 16, Super 16 developed in the 50s, 60s for, well, newsreels, I guess, originally of the wartime effort and then eventually indie filmmaking you know started to use those cameras and that was still pretty expensive even a 16 mil film and you know production was an expensive thing for a long time and then with digital everything changed and you know and now we're like at the point where a 2500 hundred dollar camera produces 6k yep it's insanity i mean it's and it's and it's like you know you know making films you know i always think back to like you know I, i didn't make movies in the 50s 60s 70s but you know to have that quality of an image, which is on film, you know, was basically impossible. Who could actually get a cam- those cameras and the film and afford it and make it? You can't. You couldn't do it. And so, but you know, you flash forward to now, and it's like we can, you can get as close to the filmic look as humanly possible. I mean, th- there was something I was the other day. It was, uh, I think it was the the bat the Batman movie. The Matt Reeves one, or the uh, uh, I don't know who directed. Was it Matt Reeves? Yeah, he directed it. Um, but they shot it digitally, and they process they they took it digitally and then put it on film and then scanned the film like they wanted it to have the it's a, i mean it's all this effort made to go yes. back to look at like film why not just shoot it on film <laughs> i don't understand but. well i mean that's an interesting point now i mean here we are so far along in the digital revolution mm-hmm. how many film labs still exist in the world exactly you know, who, i mean who can really make it except the studios yep. or someone want to spend a million bucks for right. vanity i mean tarantino likes to do film still yep and a few directors, but like Nolan and and I think Spielberg still shoots a lot of film. So yeah, yeah. most of the Star Wars films, have, except for the the prequels, have all been shot on film, and yeah. uh, which to me is a big deal. And I, I I love it. It's definitely got a look. I think I don't, the norm everyday person, my parents would never know the difference between a digital movie and a film. You know, <laughs> most people wouldn't. Yeah. No, no. But uh, but when you you know, to me it's a you know kind of gets back to like living now and being able to grab a camera like you know black, black magic or this the tons of these sony cameras that just have really beautiful images and on top of that you know it was a big deal back in whenever uh you know oh brother where art that was like the first movie that was digitally colored you know that was one that roger deakins shot and uh, i'm a huge roger deakins fan but yeah he's great yeah so i actually got to meet him last year but um like briefly you know a picture or whatever having signed my blu-rays but you know, it was like, we also have these, you know, ways to not only be shooting raw, but now we have, you know, I, I use Resolve, which has great color grading. And so you can manipulate, you know, even in post-production, you know, you can change the color of pretty much anything. You can do so much stuff to enhance, you know, the image even further, you know, making somebody's face a little bit brighter or whatever you want to do. Like, you know, that's because I love to color grade. And so I, I like to color grade a lot of stuff that I do. I mean, I've color graded feature films and and edited a feature film so happy halloween i edited so that was for britney greer yes yes so she's amazing and uh the sweetest sweetest person you'll ever meet so um 
but yeah, I think it's, you know, we were living in a really cool, cool time. So I, I know I'm loving it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it is amazing. I mean, it's, it's very democratizing. And now we have, and you know, we can talk about trends here. Uh, we're having you on here in a bit for a live uh, discussion with an audience. And that's for our filmmaking and filmmakers on filmmaking series where we get into technical, you know, the technical aspect of behind the scenes of filmmaking. And here we can talk about some of that too. In particular trends, and this just comes up all the time now, because this is the time we live in, but AI, you know, what that yeah. means and, you know, the tools and is it all hype? I mean, where, where do you see, is this going to impact indie filmmaking in your opinion? I mean, I think it, I think it will. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I've looked at, there's a, there's some like, what's the name of it? It's like Topaz something, but I. Yeah, I Topaz Labs. Labs. I've looked at, I've, there's like a free version of theirs. You can, I've, and I've played around with it trying to, I, I used it for on Happy Halloween or I tried. It didn't work out. I, I mean, Maybe I didn't need the, the not free version, but I tested out like there's a shot, a couple shots that I wanted to try to stabilize. I thought maybe I can, I can do it with AI and it worked pretty well. It, I, I just didn't really have the time. Um, and I certainly didn't want to have to spend the money. It was expensive, but, um, but I also, there's a shot in happy Halloween that, uh, it's a two shot. There's a, it's in a, supposed to be in a principal's office and the behind the characters, the wall was just blank. There's nothing. And so we wanted uh, Ryan Smith, I don't know if you know uh, Eldritch uh, USA. He was the director of it. Oh, I've met Writer, him. I haven't director. talked to him yet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He'd be a great person to have on. But he's, um, I shot, you know, I, I was the DP on that film as well. But he did the VFX for Happy Halloween. And we'd asked him, like, can you put something like a whiteboard or something? And so he did. And the, But the whiteboard was, was like blank. We were like, okay, we put some stuff on there. And I told Brittany, I was like, let me just go into Photoshop. I'll just throw a bunch of stuff on this thing. In Photoshop, and so in Photoshop, but the only thing I wanted it to look like was to, I wanted it to look like it was used. So I wanted this black smear, you know, the kind of, well, now in Photoshop, it has that, the first thing at the bottom of the screen is you can type in whatever you want and it will just generate it. So I had it put post-it notes. I had it make it look dirty, did all this crazy, added, had, I had it add stickers that looked like Halloween because the movie takes place during Halloween and then now just these, exported a PNG and that's what he put up there. And so it's like, it's these sorts crazy. of tools were only available yes. to like, you know, if you multi-million dollar projects before now you have them on yes. an indie film that was much less than that. Yeah. Like I think four grand what she spent <laughs> on that movie. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I see somebody like me using. I'm sure there's people who were still making indie movies that are probably going to be using a lot of stuff. I mean, I, mean, I know like, you know, chat GPT, you know, I, I, Thomas and I, Thomas Turbival and I've even talked about chat GPT is a great way. Like you can't use it to write a script, but you can say, you know, if you have an idea or if you have a couple little thoughts, you know, you can have it, you know, it can help you brainstorm. It's like a, yeah, really like a nice, creative assistant. Yeah. It's a creative assistant. You know, it's instead of having 10 people in a room and, and not that you want to like replace people with it, but it's like, you know, you know, uh, what are, you know, three taglines for a movie about this, this, and this, and this. And then from there, it like, it leads you down different paths that maybe you wouldn't thought of. And, uh, I mean, I haven't really used it exclusively, but I've, played with it and I'm like you I can see the potential there to help sure especially work through writer's block or or just come up with an idea of you got a story you want to write a story about a person lives in a barn by themselves there's no telling what that thing can kind of help you it's not going to make the movie for you but it can help you along the way yeah. I, I think that's I think that's beneficial but so I personally I'm with you on that and yeah. I think a lot of folks are but there are definitely two camps and you know once yeah. you get into the guilds like the writer's guild or director's guild yeah. or Actors Guild, you know, uh, they, they're taking very strong stance on this. Yes. They're very worried because their livelihoods are on the line. But as a creative assistant, it's probably not not a bad thing. No, and, and I know with them, you know, I don't know a lot about, 
yeah, the SAG stuff. I know that a big part of that was, you know, the studios wanted to replace them or have a copy yes. of them digital, which I'm like, I am 100% against. Like, I can't right. imagine, unless you're going to pay them an exorbitant amount of money. And I think that's where they settled with the contract. Yes. I mean, is that uh, the studios will have to get consent first yep. for any digital replicas of any human, mm-hmm. and then they'll also have to pay royalties. So that's actually for the writer, for the actors, that's pretty good. I don't know I don't know where the writer settled in yet. I haven't studied that yet. I don't know either, but it, against, you know, stuff like that, I definitely am like, yeah, I can't imagine people being okay with that. But I think there's little tools that are going to be able to help. A t- I mean, I know uh, there's a, a sound guy that I know, uh, Robert Murdahl, um, he's here locally, and he's done a lot of stuff with us. And he uses AI to do a lot of his post-production work. Not not to do it, but to like, uh, gosh, he, he's, he's way a million times smarter than I am. But And he tries to explain it to me, and sometimes it just goes over my head. But I know he uses it for, you know, to, to write scripts to do, to sort of, it's almost like a macro, to sort of, you know, do things whenever he opens a program. It's like, this thing just runs wow. it and does it. It's really cool. It's 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 not it's not about replacing or you know creating somebody digitally. It's it's about just helping your workflow and helping removing things. the friction in your yeah, workflow so yeah. you just move Speed faster, think faster, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, I so love I, that. I, I need more of that. I know, right? Yeah. So I, I think that kind of stuff's going to be really beneficial. So um, there'll be a shakeout, though. I mean, like there there mm-hmm. are certain revolutions that happen that that you know shake the ground. And you know, when talkies came along, I mean, yeah, yeah. And all the the actors that worked in the silent period, you know, they had a tough time with that, yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, and and so we got this now. It's all it's all very interesting. Now I'm curious. Um, maybe we don't have to deal with all this stuff down here. We're in the indie filmmaking world here locally, right? So I'm curious about. Somebody said to me here recently. They said, "Okay, you can do anything anywhere, but you're still competing against what the guys do in New York or in LA or in Paris and everything else." What are your thoughts on that competition? Um, and where and what do we do out here? And you know, in indie filmmaking, when we're not in those places. I mean, I. I Personally, I, I don't, I don't, my only thoughts about, you know, LA, New York, whatever, co- as far as competition, I mean, competition to me, not like, because we're so great. I just mean, you know, I think as a DP, my goal is to like, try to make the movies I make look as much like the big Hollywood ones. To me, it's more of about, can I get to that level and not about, I'm not, I'm not, we're not I don't think I'm ever going to compete against New York or LA or any of those big, you know what I mean? It's like, to me, it's, we're down here just trying to you know, make good movies, trying to write good stories. And, and I don't feel any kind of like, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, obviously I don't know if our movies will live up or be the, to that level, but I think that's, that has to be the goal is to like try to get to that level. And, um, you know, I mean, I know when stuff I've shot, I, you know, stuff I shot five years ago, it's like, Oh, it's so terrible, but now stuff's a lot better, but it's still not, to that level. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's people around here that are doing really good stuff. I mean, we were actually earlier, we were kind of, we were talking about, uh, lock and stash, which is a local production company. They do commercial, it's all commercial stuff. I think, I don't think they really do film things. I think they just had something filmed that they did recently. It was a short film maybe, but, um, but those guys are like, I mean, they're legit and they're shooting really beautiful stuff and, and they're just based out of Springfield. And so it's, it can, it can be done can definitely be done it's just uh uh you know sometimes you know i always feel people say well it's not about the tools you know and i'm like it's true but it's sometimes it's nice to have better tools like a camera that shoots 6k raw that's definitely has a higher dynamic range that's a lot nicer when you're shooting outside (laughs) and the sun's blaring down on you and you don't want to blow the sky out so so there's definitely things to be said you know about there's there's a 
I mean, obviously New York and Hollywood and those companies, those, those places are going to have all the bells and whistles. And, uh, but it, it doesn't mean that you can't still strive to make, I mean, I don't, I think that needs to be the, to me, that's the bars to have something that's look as much like Hollywood as you can get it and sounds like Hollywood and is acted like Hollywood. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So no, let, let it be your motivation. So, yeah. Hey, well, now in 2023, uh, we've had about 25 years or so of like digital cameras, you know, DSLRs and all this sort of thing going mm-hmm. on. Um, what, uh, you know, for any new filmmakers out there thinking, you know, what kind of camera should I buy? How, what kind of basic gear should I get to start off and make a movie? Cause that's changed over time. And now you don't need as much, but there are some essentials. What do you think is essential to getting started as a filmmaker these days as a DP if you want to pursue that that line of work? Sure. I, I mean, as a, as a DP, I, to me, being a DP, is, is it's all about the light. So, I mean, but as far as a camera goes, I mean, I think you should have, I think you should strive to get a decent little light kit. You don't have to, and it's right now we have LED panels, little LED panels. You don't have to have them. You don't have to have a, a you know, a, a 12K you know, HMI that sits outside and, you know, you can't even run it off your pow- off your house because it'll blow the, <laughs> yeah. it'll blow the fuse. You don't need all that. But, but, um, I mean, there's a lot of cameras. Sony is, I think is really, and Canon's doing an awesome job of, you know, Canon, I think are a little more expensive. I think you can, if you find something that's going to shoot 4k and log, you don't have to shoot raw, but log to me, log again, gives you just that. And what can, uh, for people who don't know, sure. what is the difference between log and raw? And- so, yeah, so log is like logarithmic. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. I don't know who created or came up with it, but it's you know some mathematician somewhere figured it out. But it's it's supposed to be more like film, just like raw is. But it's it, how the shadows, how much detail you keep in the shadows and the highlights, and you know that's sort of like dynamic range as well. But um, but log is is just you know where you're not you're not you're not adding contrast or saturation. You're not adding sharpening. It's still a pretty flat. It's not. It's not raw, but a raw image is literally just what the sensor sees. You when you take a just picture, the data just yes. dumped onto the sensor. Because yeah. people think that people know what a JPEG is, and JPEG is just a, compre- it's a compression. It makes the file smaller. It makes it adds saturation. It adds compre- it adds uh, you know contrast. It adds, adds uh, sharpening. But a raw image has none of that. It's just what the sensor sees, and so the files are bigger. Mm-hmm. But there, but you also get all of this latitude. And with raw files. It, it records, you know, if you, let's say your, your ISO on your camera can be from ISO 100 to like 1250 or something. Let's and this say. is the measure of sensitivity. Yeah. The measure that the, the, you adjust your ISO, it makes it more sensitive to light. Well, what a raw footage does is it records every one of those. You'd say for that scene, you, you set it to record at 500 ISO. Well, it's still going to record all the rest of those. And so when you get into post, when you get into your editing software, you think, man, that's really too bright. I wonder if I can, well, guess what? You still have 450 down to 100. You can just go in there and there's, that's and you interesting. can change See, it. I so. always thought that raw was the, was what the sensor, that was the photons hitting the sensor. <clears throat> right. It, but it, you're saying it's actually more than that. It's actually simultaneously yep. recording all the different ISOs. It does. And it does the same thing for color temp. So you may dial in the color temp at 5,600 Kelvin, but it's going to record whatever your camera will record. And again, that's why, you know, it saves all that data. And that's why those files are so much bigger because it keeps everything. Sure. And so there's nothing like uh, shooting log is really good because you, you, while you, you don't get, it doesn't record everything. It, you get, it What it does is it makes that, that, that image more neutral. It makes it, it doesn't bake anything. I mean, it doesn't, uh, it bakes stuff in, but it, it gives you, um, you know, it, it doesn't add contrast. And so when you get into, 
you know, to color grade it, it gives you more, more, you know, dynamic range essentially to, you know, to all that color is there. When you shoot it, you, you were looking at it in your computer. It's very blah. It looks almost black and white sometimes it's because flat, it's right? so flat. Yes. But because it, it's flat, it gives you more flexibility. Right. It, all that data is still in there. It just hasn't done anything to it yet. It's giving you the control. I always say this about filmmaking it's so much about control, control over the sound, control over mm-hmm. where people stand, where the, what they say, you know, cause you've got a script. It's like, so where the light is, it's, and so that's just one more way to get as much control as possible. And so raw is great. Not everything shoots raw. Um, even when I started or raw video stuff, for that yeah, raw video. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even now you've got 32 bit float audio, which is basically mm-hmm. raw. You don't even really have to set the settings. It'll just record it. So, um, which is a, which is a big deal. So, for audio people, but which I know very little about audio, but, um, whatever Kong tells me, <laughs> whatever <laughs> Kong tells me. So, but, uh, but yeah, so finding a camera that if you, to shoot log and sh- every, I mean, shooting log is not, it's been around for a while. So it's not hard to find a camera that does that because it's going to, again, give you more control and post. And does, then it, far, does it give you more than raw? Um, no, there's a, yeah, there's log and then there's just raw and that's it. So log, log is, or raw is, 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 you know, that's as, that's as good as it gets. But again, like I have a $2,400 camera that shoots raw. It's not, it'll shoot 6k raw. I mean, for goodness sake. So it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you can ask. You for. wouldn't need more than that. No, right? I mean, I, no. <laughs> a couple of lights and that and a, and a yeah, couple of microphones and you're right. set to go. Yeah. And so and one thing to think about too, I mean, you know, the ISO sensitivity, Sony cameras have a better ISO sensitivity. Um, that's something if you're going to get real technical or start getting super technical. Well, I mean, they're, I mean, I know those, it doubles like a mm-hmm. 100, 200, 400, 800, 16 and so on. Yep. But they go all the way, last I looked in, it's been a while, like 500,000. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's like yeah, 128,000. I think I've seen some. So mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I've shot on a Sony a7 III, which they have an a7 IV and a7 IVs. So a7s are not even that expensive anymore. But they'll, you know, they're really good in low light. So I, I would, without a, without even questioning it, I would go up to as high as 10,000 ISO. Now on my Black Magic, you know, I won't say it's a drawback, but that's one of the things. I don't usually go above about 1,200 ISO on it. Now you mean 12,000 or 1,200? 12? 1,200. Now on the really? Sony, I would go up to 10,000. There's such a difference. Whatever, for whatever reason, Sony has figured it out. Now I don't know why every camera maker doesn't do that, but... Um, oh my, you know, I mean, I have, so. uh, you know, I love to send this to Canon. I just be, it's kind of, Canon's kind of like dealing with Google or Facebook and trying to get a human to respond. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like, there's things that filmmakers need. Uh, Canon must know that filmmakers use their cameras or these manufacturers and they don't seem to respond. So right. what, thing, what things would you want on a, on a camera? Yeah. <laughs> if you could speak to the manufacturers yeah. now, what would you demand? What would be your dream list of features? I mean, you know, like I, I'm thinking. <laughs> Sound of, on the camera? Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Can I get, you know, I mean, like even my, my Blackmagic has X, mini XLR inputs. So you can, you can, in, at least you can connect. What's a, a mini mic. XLR? I know an XLR. I never heard it's of mini just a, XLR. It looks just like one. It's just smaller. Okay. Instead of being like this big around, it's, it's about that big. It's just. A smaller is XLR. that a universal format uh it is i mean you can it's easy to find it it's not like it's some okay. random you can All get right. them on amazon you can get them so that's uh you know i've shot on the original red one the original red camera i've shot three feature films on that thing and it has you know even back in 20 2007 or whatever when it was made it had h it has hdmi mm-hmm. in it so um you know and, and mini xlr as well so uh so that way you can at least connect a good mic to your mm-hmm. to your camera but yeah so i mean if my black magic's 
I don't have a lot of complaints. It even has built-in ND filters, for goodness sake. So, um, I mean, that camera was really made for filmmaking. A hundred percent. It's not a stills camera, so you can get really nice 4K screen grabs out of your out of your uh, you know your editing software, but. But it's it's a it's a true it's like cinema camera. You know they they just came out with a newer version of it, and they don't even, they it used to be that it's all of their cameras were Blackmagic Pocket 4K Pocket 6K. Well, they've taken the pocket off now. It's just Blackmagic Cinema 6K because mm-hmm. that's what those things are. They're they're to me it's a cinema pretty amazing. Camera. Yeah, yeah. So. so let me ask you that. Uh, speak going back just for a second, touch on trends because kind of curious what your thoughts on this. So we have Marvel movies, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. we have studios who uh, seem to like making hundred, two hundred million dollar bets, <laughs> uh, you know, the films that could bankrupt the studio. But with the future being what it might be, what we think it might be here coming up soon, where you could potentially make a film for a ten thousandth of that, a fraction, you know, that, that would suggest possibly making more films, more movies. You know, there might be more content, uh, maybe more creative content if, if indie filmmakers can learn how to use these tools effectively. There's predictions that we'll see the full, the full, the first full AI produced feature within the next 12 to 18 months. I don't know what it's going to look like. But uh, on one hand, it's like we'll have more movies. Maybe they'll be more imaginative. We just don't know. And there'll be more of them because no one's going to want to make $100 million movies when you can make them for a thousandth or ten thousandth of that. What, what do you think of all that? Um, I mean, it's really funny because just in the last couple of weeks, I've literally thought to myself, I need to Google why movies cost $250 million. I mean, I, mean, I know it's expensive, and, and I know there's companies involved that cater and make costumes and there's all kinds of stuff but there's a movie out right now and i haven't seen it but it's getting rave reviews everybody seems to love it. it's really the it, the godzilla minus one i don't know if you've heard of it it's no. the same studio that made the original godzilla movies to- and it's toho appar- or to- toho yes yeah. apparently it's really good like legitimately like not not just like and it's good because it's character driven and they've made they the movie makes you like the characters and you care about who's dying or not dying and godzilla is bad Fifteen million dollars. That's what they wow. made that movie for. Fifteen million dollars. Because we live in a, again, you know, we live in a world where the technology exists to to do special effects to the level. You, how many? I, mean, I see a lot of stuff. People complaining about studios. You know, you're watching Marvel movies and and you see the CG is just not great. You're like, how are these guys not affording? Now I know there's a thing about them not really. You know, they're, they're they do take advantage of these how these like these VFX houses and they don't pay people and it's always the lowest bidder. And these guys mm-hmm. are, there's like, there's somebody that lives here locally, uh, Daryl Clanch. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he works for a, a company. He actually did two VFX shots in happy Halloween. Um, he, he and Brittany Greer are like really good friends. And so he came on and, and helped and, and helped us out on a couple different shots that we just couldn't, couldn't figure out. But anyways, he's, you know, he, knows a lot about that and the kind of the struggle of that, you know, you're working for a production company. I mean, he just, he just worked on Indiana Jones for goodness sakes. Like he, he had to remove his, and he had to remove Harrison Ford's jowls or something like that. It was, I mean, so he's doing big stuff. Through the whole movie. Uh, he, had, he had one scene. He had the, okay. a catacomb scene, I guess. But, but to go back to your question, I get on a tangent, but. I mean, oh, tangents are welcome here. <laughs> we <laughs> like them. Do it. When, oh my gosh. So, um, but I think it's, you know, I mean, I think this, everything is there for people. I mean, I, I see people, 
you know, it's not everybody that I like personally know, but I, I'm in groups on Facebook or you see people who are putting out trailers. Here's what I made. And you're like, man, there's a lot of stuff that's out there. You know, we, we went to a film festival. Um, uh, I went with Ryan Smith. He's, you know, uh, Eldridge is sort of doing the film festival rounds and it's, it's been fairly successful. It's one, won several things, which is great, but we went to one over in Enid, Oklahoma. And I would honestly say our movie was probably the second or third best movie there. I, per, I thought, but out of, I think there were six or eight feature films that were in the festival, but there were some really, there were two really good. I would have just, I mean, they weren't, I mean, they weren't Hollywood. Man, they were so close. I'm like, these guys are just, and these are people from Oklahoma just making movies. Um, and they had sp- experience, and I think they had some a little bit of money behind it, but I'm telling you, it does not take. So what was missing? Money. That's an interesting question you bring up or allude to. What, what, because, you know, if the Ozarks, we have a dream here, the foundry, one of them is to become a regional hub, you know, awesome. filmmaking hub and, and to make, and to make the making of movies of cinema, you know, a permanent feature, uh, we, the, 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 you know, nonprofit spiel is a permanent feature of the economic and cultural landscape. Okay. So, okay. but the, but the way that plays out is that, you know, we have more local filmmakers, higher quality filmmaking. It's a mm-hmm. permanent thing. It isn't just like, you know, a movie comes here every few years. It's just, there's like sort of a culture. It's kind of like, you know, people, some cities love or states love football, Alabama, you know, that's like sure. everything's football. Yeah. You know, it can, it can, can a Midwestern anyway. city become all about, Making movies, yes. I'm a Razorback. <laughs> razorback. Yeah, so <laughs> David's wearing a yeah. David's wearing a Razorback T-shirt here. And my watch has Razorbacks <laughs> on it. So yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, no. so it's like, um, so you know, what do, what do we need to do to to when you're that close, and we're not that close, but that's where we're going. Mm-hmm. The, what what is the thing that pushes you over the edge? You think? Gosh, I mean, I, and you had asked me that at, at the sort of when we first started talking, but you know, as far as making a career, and it, mm. I, I think the big thing is 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 there enough money to? I don't again, I don't know why you need two hundred million or whatever. So a lot of that's marketing budgets, a hundred, studio uh, overhead, and yeah, all that kind a of lot stuff. of that stuff. So um, negotiated deals, right? And I get when Robert Downey Jr. is going to make fifteen or twenty million dollars. I get that that's you know, but I think there are uh, amazing actors around here. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, that Missouri State has their, their, you know, their, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's their uh, uh, acting. They have a, acting uh, yeah, courses there, theater media, degree. electronic yeah. arts, all that. Yeah, 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 all that stuff. And there's great, like, the leads, the two main act, uh, their actresses, the, uh, Emma and Aileen in Happy Halloween were, I mean, they, they're, she's, uh, one's from St. Louis, the other one's from Georgia. I mean, they came here to go to school and that's how we met them. And they're so talented. And, and so, um, so, I mean, you're asking what's the little thing is, is enough. I mean, it always comes back to money, but which is hard to do. And I don't know where it comes from, but you know, so people can make a living doing it. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, there are much smarter people. I'm like, let me shoot. I can talk to you about cameras, but I don't know if I'm always like the foremost authority. On. Well, let's go with, with just the movies themselves because you know? the movies you saw, and it's a big question. I yeah, agree because we're working on the question ourselves. That, those movies, you said they were almost there. Yeah. So what is the, what, what in your mind, because you make, you've uh, sure. made films. I think. So what's between an amateur or uh, not amateur. I don't want to use that word. What's between a film that's like where someone's clearly just 
developing their chops still, and then they're like they've made it. I think uh, the thing, the two things to me, the two biggest things on the on those movies at that specific film festival. The one of them uh, was uh, on both of them, but one of the first one I think uh, was editing. I think they're they both edited really well. And, and I think editing is a skill that can be learned. And I think it can be taught. And I think people, some people are probably better at it than others with, with everything, but I love editing. I don't know if I'm any good at it, but I think they're, they, they were just, you know, there was never, nothing took you out of it. But the other thing would be like production value, you know, they, you know, one of them was set in a house and that was the whole movie was in this house, but it was still and it ended up apparently it was one of the actors grandmother's house, but you know, they had set decked it. They had done all this stuff to it. To, and then one of them was a Western and it's like taking that and making, you know, you know, you know, here, I think that's one of the things that like, even on movies I've, I've been on, and this is not a knock to anybody because people know it's some, it takes a little bit of money, but to, to build out that, the world that you're in. Mm. And sometimes you stay small because you can't show everything because it's, you know, because you just don't have the money to make it look like, you know, nobody around here is going to shoot a post a post apocalyptic movie because you can't make things look like that. Right. But if you could find a place that looks sort of like that and then digitally help it, that kind of so, but not you know, but but the digital work has to be good. You know what I mean? So <laughs> so the production value, you know, yeah, it's kind of that's, a, that's the thing is like they kind of. Uh, uh, expand the size of the universe of some of these films. They feel like too small. Yeah. The films are too small. I think so. I think sometimes, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like how a movie that takes place in, you know, one location, there's great movies that do that. Obviously, sure. Yeah. In a room, even yeah. panic room. Yeah. Panic stuff room. like that. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, there's a really good one with Tom Hardy, uh, where he's mm-hmm. just in a car the whole time and, uh, lock it's called and it's excellent. But so obviously it can be done, but I think like, to me, those movies, you know, both of them were shot really well. It also, I mean, both of them, you could tell, were lit really well. And, you know, to me, that, that's one of the big things to me that, that you know, between you know, movies here, movies in, How- in, in Hollywood, you know, even smaller stuff like that, you know, there were other films that were there that were good, but you, know, you could see sometimes the audio was an issue. Not crazy terrible, but... You know, maybe the ADR wasn't good or there was just some stuff you could tell it just wasn't. It could have probably been helped. Um, and then the, and then the cinematography, you know, there, you can I can you know, I can tell when somebody's lit something really well. And, you you know, there's been a lot of work that's gone into it and it just takes it to another level. And uh, I don't know, I think, you know, there's to me as a DP it's, I mean, I, I love to light stuff. I get just, I get sad when I don't get to lights overshooting outside <laughs> today. Okay. Well that's fine. All right. You know, but like, cause I like to light, I like to, to make something look, you know, so these movements, it brings up an interesting question here. These, you know, dogma 95 back at, yeah. um, Oh, Von Trier, Lars Von Trier. Lars Von Trier. Yeah. yeah, yeah the Danish yeah. Direct, Cause that was, that movement in 95 was about, you know, cheap prosumer level cameras, yep. you know, uh, the available light, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you find there on the sets, what you use, the practical sets and all the rest. And the idea was to democratize. But did he go too far? Does that go too far? You still got to have shadows like Boogie Nights. Yeah. You know, yeah. life is yeah, cinema. Right. Life is full of shadows. That's has to have right. shadows. <laughs> uh, that's great. I, I forgot about that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's true. But it's funny because, you know, there's that movie. Uh, when it's, I, I, I love the movie. It's wonderful. Uh, the Revenant, uh, you know, that DiCaprio was in. And, you know, that was all it was a big deal because it was all natural light. They shot. Well, there was a, I was watching something, this has been probably, this has been last year probably, but it was a, a DP who, he didn't work on the project, but he knew people that had, anyways, in post-production, there was, there was, like, it was this endless amount of digital, like, making people's faces brighter, 
adding, you know, and I can do it and I can make with, with DaVinci Resolve, you can track somebody's face easily and make one of their side of their face, you know, just to add a little bit of contrast or enhance colors from fire or bring up a scene, you know, there's so much that can be done digitally. And there was apparently a ton of digital work that was done to that, even though it was shot all natural light. Well, it was still, I see Hollywooded, but it was still brought up to another level because they knew that you can't just, you just can't do that. Even, you know, even shooting outside, you know, you're, you see movies where it's like they're shooting outside, but, but when you see the behind the scenes picture, there's a massive crane holding up this like 40 foot by 40 foot foot piece of diffusion. That's just diffusing the <laughs> yes. whole, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we can't, we don't have that here. And so uh, now I, one uh, in close-ups or mid shots, I'll try to come in with some diffusion to, or whatever, but you know, uh, but then you also are like, okay, well we got to shoot everything where they're being back, get the sun behind them. So the, it's, they're not squinting and it does not make an ugly shadows, but, but you know, big productions, again, that's stuff that we don't necessarily have access to. So we either have to f- find a place that's in the shade or, or just be very, you know, strategic about where you're placing people outside. But at least that's stuff I think about all the time. And so, sure. so it's, uh, it's, you know, I think, I think the, it's the possibility is there to get stuff up to the Hollywood level because it's, it, it's, you can do it. And, and sometimes you see movies that are successful that are more independent films and they don't have that Hollywood gloss to them. You know, like when I think of it as like Fargo, it's this movie just, that movie just doesn't have a Hollywood gloss but it's so good because the movie is so good and the performance is good. The edit's good. The story is good. It's just, that's you know, so that's a what big part of it film? too. Oh, that's, you know, you just, I don't have to yeah. go out. I'm going to have to go out and do one, a list tonight. Uh, of films, that, yeah, cheap films yeah. that have, you know, that are raw, but have like a, like some yeah. like high level of like cinematography to them, but were not expensive. Yeah, there's, and I'm sure there probably are some. I mean, I'm, again, I, I think nowadays you see stuff hmm. that's shot really well because we do have access to, you know, you do have access to, to a, 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 a you know, brighter, like an LED, like, you know, I have a, a couple of, of, uh, uh, aperture 300D lights, which is about the equivalent of about a 2,500 or 3,000 K light. Um, but it's LED, so you can just plug it into the wall. Uh, but, you know, you can get stuff that that's a 300D, there's 600Ds, there's 1200Ds, which are ones you can punch through a window with, throw some haze up, and you can get that cinematic, like, kind of, you know what I mean? It's the, it's yeah. there. Now, those are $600, or they're more than that. They're $1,600, $2,000, but you can rent them as well, you know, and that's not going to cost you a fortune. So there's a lot of options out there. If you know, okay, we've got this one scene, I'm going to need a bigger light, rent it for two days, and it's going to cost you a you know, 300 bucks as opposed to trying to buy the can, the, yeah. you know what I mean? So, so there's definitely a lot of options planning, you know, a little bit of budget, but you know, I've rented stuff before that I needed lenses, uh, lights, that kind of stuff. And so it's definitely, you know, it just takes planning. It takes, you know, somebody who's made a movie before, or at least, you know, has the forethought to say, okay, what are we going to need? What are we going to need? And when are we going to need it? That kind of stuff. So, and so you get into all of that when you're planning your films. I got, we're going to, yeah. we're going to get you onto a stage here. So okay. I got a couple more questions here. I got to, sure. I got to ask you, <laughs> uh, I have to, before you leave. Um, and one, one is easy. Cause I'm just curious. And I want to have it for the record too. So everyone listening knows too. Oh, no. What is your, no, it's, it's a simple one. It's just <laughs> kind of curious. What, what film, what film do you love has that has extraordinary lighting? Like for me, there's some, I could pick a li- uh, short list, like, you know, Gattaca or in the mood for love, Wong Kar Wai, or, yeah. you know, these, yeah. you know, super saturated looks are very, yep. you know, uh, well, you, there you go. What do you got? Um, 
it's really funny. You know, again, I've talked about Roger Deakins. He's probably my favorite DP, but, you know, so because I, I, I look at Roger Deakins, you know, he did Fargo, and then he's also done, you know, Skyfall and the James Bond, and then he also did, you know, Blade Runner 2049, which to me 2049 is just – so it's like he can do he can do natural – just looks like somebody turned a camera on or your phone on. You know what I mean? It's it's like it just looks – there's nothing Hollywood about it. It just looks like real life. And then he can do – so 2049 is something I think is beautiful, like the original Blade Runner. Um, I think cinematography in Alien is amazing. I think it's that's a beautiful – one of my favorite shots is when they're – you're seeing them through – their little cameras, which you're just seeing the grainy little like, but then it cuts to that big shot of the alien that's had the, you know, it's dead. It's had the chest pressure. This, and it's just this beautiful shot. God, it's beautiful. So isn't that when the chest burster busts out of the chest? Uh, this in the, in the original alien movie there, you know, they're on the ship and they walk into this room and there's this alien that's humongous. And it's, it's just its skeleton sitting in that, that sort of, Oh yeah. The, the, the chair, the, 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 the astronaut chair, yeah, the, the astronaut navigator chair. chair. Yeah. 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 That's so, beautiful. Huh? Yeah. So it, it's like stuff like that. I think, or, you know, that's beautiful. Um, I mean, you know, I love like, you know, I think Fight Club is a gorgeous movie. Um, That's an interesting It's so choice. gritty and yes. just, I think it's, and it's, and it's. And know, so if you could produce that grittiness as an indie filmmaker, and and there's nothing particularly in terms of, there are some effects in that film, but mm-hmm. that is something, I mean, that kind of, that sort of a story could be achieved on a relatively low budget, except blowing up the buildings at the end, perhaps. Right, right. I think you know, so, yeah. You, yeah. Could, you could achieve that sort of look. I think you as can. As an indie filmmaker. I think you can. And in one of those movies, that's, I think the movie that, to me, it says, as gritty because that movie's so dirty and, it, and that goes back to production value and that mm-hmm. old house that they're in and everything is just covered in dirt and like yeah. old and run down and so that's you know it makes the movie feel like it's dirty you know seven is another movie obviously i'm a david fincher fan but you yes, know that's another movie tell. yeah another movie that's like i think is beautiful but it's very simplistic it's not you know it there's just something about it that that looks good and so um you know like i i go back you know another there will be blood is another one i think is gorgeous um mm, you know that's yeah. probably one of my all-time favorite movies but but uh you know i'm trying to think of something even in old, like older movies that are that are you know i look at i i love going back and watching old black and white movies because i have so much respect for having to shoot a movie back then when you had film that was like 50 asa i mean you you had to blast every you know um you know uh uh I don't want to sit Alice in Wonderland, but Wizard of Oz is one that's like that. We were the, talking the, about that last. It's night. amazing that they could make movies. You know, that, talking about that, that studio was like 104 degrees because of all the light, but it's just it's amazing that 1934 they were making stuff that looked like this. It's I wonder if you know the answer to this unreal. question because uh, um, we were talking about actually Steve Williams and I were got a little bit into Technicolor, but not too much because he's going off on film stocks. But but a more basic question here because we talked about three strip Technicolor, which was Wizard of Oz, is made with that. Okay. And you have later Technicolor stocks, um, and, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine because I, I certainly don't. And so, the, but the question is, is like what what it's still called Technicolor, but what was so what is so different? What makes a film look like um, you know one of my favorite directors, Nicholas Winding Refn? Mm, yeah, you know, well, the, he's great. His yeah. films. Uh, or, you know, what separates that from, say, like uh, Godard or Buñuel or, uh, or the, you know, the three strip, you know, guys, because it's all Technicolor film as so far as I know the stock, but, but they have different looks, like the ectochrome era right. look. I mean, what is making everything different? Is it, is it the dyes? I mean, I, I was going to say, like, now I don't, I've never shot on film, but I mean, I've definitely I was like, ask you I've that watched too. a lot of stuff, yeah, but sure. never have got to shoot on it. Would love to, to do it, but never have gotten to. But I, I do know, you know, it's that, it's very much that process of, you know, like back then DPs would, 
you know, you would sense, they would send footage in to be processed and, you know, there were, they, DPs would give all these notes about how much shadow, how, you know what I mean? Like how yeah. to do it basically this much saturated for these colors, this much. And it was just, it was, again, I can't, the, the, the fact that we get like the Godfather and Lawrence of Arabia and these movies back it's amazing. Then, it's amazing to me. And with no monitors, they had no, you didn't know what it was actually going to look like until you got dailies back. Like nowadays we have monitors with focus peaking and with false color and you you feel like you're cheating. So this gets into my last question okay. before we get you on a stage. <laughs> In the old days, I, I, I went to film school at a time when I got to at least play with a couple rolls of film. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm I, mean, jealous. I, I, I developed a 400-foot roll of 16, and it cost me hundreds. Oh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> you that's, know? that's why I don't do it. <laughs> exactly. It's insane. But, oh, um, but in the old days, if you wanted to become a DP, you know, you had someone had to trust you to shoot. And you worked your way up, you know, second camera assist, first yep. camera assist, and maybe you're the focus pulled there for eight or ten yep. years. You know, yep. maybe you joined a guild somewhere along the line. Yep. And and then once you shot enough film, you know, several tens of thousands of feet of film or hundreds of thousands, you could become an ASC member. This you know, is crazy. And then you and then you were trusted with a feature. So there was wow. a whole like journeyman way up. Yeah. Yeah. And there still is, to some degree, you know, folks are going to shoot like the next Marvel film. They were there are people working up that way in sure. Hollywood right now, and it takes them forever to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal when they finally become an ASC member. That's the uh, American Society of Cinematographers. Mm-hmm. You're liberated from all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're Which you're, is nice. <laughs> you're right. I mean, you get to take the title on a DP without having to put in all those years and it's get true. someone to like. You know, you have to figure out to convince someone to let you shoot three hundred thousand feet of film. Right, right. At fifty dollars a foot. <laughs> so, so you have gotten this this you've, you do you've made it in a way without have and i mean you've benefited from the time you live in i suppose 100 percent, yeah from like i said youtube educated i've benefited from people showing how they do stuff how they light a scene or how they do something specific or you know how to get this quality of light different kinds of qualities of light you know that kind of thing which which you know that that kind of basic stuff but then also learning about cameras and getting the, you know, it's always nice to have a good camera, but get them. How do you get the most out of your camera? Learn your camera, push it to its limits. I don't mean like you're going to break it, but just know what it, what it will do, know its limitations, and work within it, but also get the most out of it. I guess I lied. I have another. Oh, question. Okay, sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> hey, hey. Kubrick started out in photography. Not that I'm Kubrick, but I started out in photography as a photojournalist, and I remember uh, I was told when I was starting out that the best way to learn uh, how to shoot, especially in varying light, you know, especially uh, and uh, low light, was to go well, for action. Go out and shoot squirrels, and number two, get a night shift at the paper. Well, I got the night shift at the paper. wasn't any choice of mine, so I had to shoot all winter, oh, and then, well. you know, at night at my <laughs> night shift, and I, and I and there's a lot of squirrels on campus oh my so gosh. that was all good you know That's awesome. so that was my advice that i got what is your advice for someone who wants to become uh, a dp and get the most out of their equipment should they do iphone or what would you tell them to do i mean I don't know. I, I'm as a DP. Like, I, there's a part of me that's like, okay, iPhone's cool. Like, you know, there's a thing that I've seen where I, uh, I think Apple. Somebody did a, a video of like, we made a movie. Look what we did. We made this short on an iPhone, and then you see behind the scenes stuff, and they have a they have there's 75 people there, and there's lighting, and they're doing. I'm like, it's not the same people. They're tricking you. It's not. It's not <laughs> yes. the same. So, yes, your phone will shoot 4K, but that's still not the same. You still don't have the level of control. But, uh, but anyways, so I mean, for me, it's like. If, if for somebody who wants to go out and learn how to be a better DP is like study light, watch movies that you like how they look and pay attention to the light, not just the light that's hitting the people, but what's behind them. Are they back? You know, pay attention to, to, to where it's at. It's very, everything in a movie, especially Halloween movies is controlled. It's there on purpose. And so it's not by accident. And so 
How are they lighting it? And then, and then as far as your camera, find a camera that you, within your price range, you don't spend millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands, even tens of thousands of dollars. Find a good camera that's going to shoot 4K, log if you can get it, and then just go out and shoot stuff and, you know, try to light things. Don't worry about just shooting outside because you'll be able to do that. But, you know, learn, learn the exposure triangle, learn how your ISO, your aperture, and your shutter all affect each other and what you need to adjust to get what you want. Um, you know, learn about depth of field. Uh, that sounds like a lot. I know. Right. So, um, I'll do a course. You can come. I'll, I'll, <laughs> we so may I'll have you come in things. to teach. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, But, but, uh, the main thing is like get a camera and then try and buy a couple little lights, buy can lights from Walmart and buy bulbs, different buy a bulb that's a hundred Watts buy one that's 15 and then just see how they look different. See how it looks different when it's closer to the subject or further away. How does the light affect it? Play around with three point lighting, you know, those basic things like a light from the front, your key light, and then a backlight, you know, a hair light, just different things, you know, find a, your kid's doll and just set it in a chair and then just light it and do different things. Really dramatic light for beauty lighting, just play around with it and see how the light falls and what it does. Um, and then, you know, rinse and repeat, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> do it a lot. But we would oftentimes say your mileage will vary, but in this case it won't because if you do those things, it will, they, that's all you'll learn. Yes. And like, you know, I've, you know, I've been blessed, truly blessed to have shot, to been the DP on five feature films here locally. But, but it, anybody who wants me to, like, I just shot something with a, a gentleman, uh, Jeff Denton. He does cosplay. He wanted he want to know if I'd come shoot his, one of his cosplay outfits. I'm like, heck yeah. Cause I, I just want to, I, I just want to, I don't want to get rusty. I just want to get out and do it and, and and try something different. And so, you know, don't be afraid to go shoot. Just go out and do it. If you go by yourself, you know, um, some people are really good at doing like travel vlogs and stuff like that. That's totally fine too. Just go shoot, um, especially if you want. And if you want to be an editor, go do that stuff and then come back and edit it. So, uh, don't don't be afraid to just make it up yourself if you need to. So you don't have to have other people there necessarily. So, <laughs> but does it's a muscle. It's it's like anything. If you don't use it, you kind of start to lose it. I think I think that. And so keep it keep it going and 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 be aware of what like you you know you've done a great job about talking about trends but trends in cinematography cinematography like what are people lighting with what are they how are the how are things being lit because that stuff changes you know through the years how the stuff was lit 50 years ago is now how stuff lit is has lit now it looks different so you know be be kind of at the forefront of that kind of stuff too i try to be you know what is it what are people doing how does it look different you know am i doing it this way do i like what i'm doing uh so don't don't be afraid to to like you know to reach out to people um, and you know, especially YouTubers, there's lots of YouTubers who, who will surprisingly reply back to you. And, you know, especially if they're smaller, but you, you, but they do good stuff. Don't be afraid to like ask them questions as well. So, uh, don't, even if it's just your mind that you're working, that's, I think that's good too. So keep it. It's amazing calm. advice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Because you're speaking not just to the people locally, but this, uh, podcast will be on all platforms, Google, Apple, um, everywhere you like to listen to podcasts. We're going to sign off and get David up on stage here for our Filmmakers on Filmmaking. You can find that uh, also in our archive, uh, the Ozarks Film Foundry on YouTube and on Facebook. David, thank you for coming in. Thank this you. has been, we thank you. This has been Outland Filmmakers, outside the studio, inside the stories. We appreciate you all. Thank you again. We'll have another podcast in two weeks. Take care. <laughs>